Hello, hello. I'm here on the Words First podcast where we talk to story brand guides and other marketing folks about how to do marketing better, how to use some of the principles in story brand to improve their marketing, and also where kind of where are the next steps 2.0 if you've already implemented story brand, what do you do next? I've got Josh Brammer on the show today. Pretty excited about this conversation. He is the owner founder of Lantern. And they help B2B service providers, businesses, build better businesses. And I'll let him kind of unpack what that means here in a second. But we're going to have a conversation about what what do we do when we're trying to implement story brand for like super smart people? People who, if you've listened to Donald Miller or you've heard on the podcast, you may have heard this idea of the curse of knowledge before. People who who know what they're talking about at such a deep level that it's really hard for them to simplify it to the point that makes sense. So, Josh, let me let me throw it over to you. I'm gonna guess that maybe you self-identify a little bit as the like the nerdy type who who maybe knows too much and struggles with some of those things. And now you help other people figure out how to be a little bit more clear. What, what's, what's kind of your perspective that you're bringing here? So th- that's absolutely right. My team jokes that I'm my own worst client. And so a lot of what I've learned in the last five years as a story brand guide has been being a consultant. And I, I literally left my last agency, started consulting. And then people said, Josh, we really like you, but we have no idea what we can buy from you. And I scratched my head and I was like, this doesn't make sense. I've been like consulting for 10 years in agencies, but when I, when I ste- stepped out on my own, people had no idea what I meant anymore. And so I actually turned to StoryBrand as a tool that I had used in the past. I became a StoryBrand guide because I felt this awkwardness of being a, what I would consider a smart, savvy business owner but not being able to explain what it was I was trying to accomplish so that a client could pay me for it. And I was like, this has got to stop right now. And so that led me on the journey of leveling up my copywriting, learning how, how to help other, you know, we, we kind of have a favorite client who's a, a smart, nerdy engineering type, because mm-hmm. a lot of times when they're so good at what they do, they're so in the weeds, they can't explain their way out of a paper bag when it comes to explaining what it is, why it's important, why somebody should pick them versus the competition. So yes, I definitely self-identify in that. And those are the type of clients that, that we really attract at Lantern. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question then. Do you feel like the challenge when working with those types of people? And I mean, they can be coming out of any industry. I think it's almost more of like a, a personality type, but if you're working with an, a business owner, is the challenge getting them sort of in the process of, of, say, working through a brand script to narrow down their thoughts? Or is it in the output when they, when they put it all together and they're like, oh, this seems too simple or this doesn't quite capture enough of what we're trying to create? Does that, does that make sense as a differentiation? Yeah. And yeah, what are your thoughts? So what we found, and I, I learned this on my first story brand client, they were a husband and wife team. They were really great at what they do. They're med tech CEO recruiters. They mm-hmm. go and get a CEO from one med tech company and take them to another med tech company. They're dealing mm-hmm. with these really high influence, really high power you know, <laughs> companies that are doing innovative things in medicine. And what I found was we were trying to work through the process 
and they saw their process as so unique. Every time we tried to get the words nailed down, it's mm-hmm. like this this avalanche of stuff came out of nowhere and said, "But what about?" Mm-hmm. Or, "But what about?" And so there was lots of angles. Is what what sure. I found. What we so realized. You, go yeah. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. So you're talking about a client who. They they don't offer one specific service, but they could they offer what could be a variety of services or or lots of different solutions depending on the client. They might know exactly who their client or the situation is, but they don't yet know what the problem to be solved might actually be. They're, the 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 thing they offer is almost their brain power to solve complex problems, but it's hard to then in, in story brand world to say, so what is the problem you solve? Well, the problem I solve is that I solve problems. That feels a little open-ended, right? <laughs> right, right. And that's what we call it the special snowflake situation where mm-hmm. an expert who sells their knowledge and their expertise looks at the world and says, if you lined up 50 clients in front of me, I could solve their problem because my process mm-hmm. works because my team is really steady, we can do mm-hmm. it. But the challenge then becomes if we try to iron out what that problem is, the problem often doesn't feel like it does justice to the expertise mm-hmm. that they deliver. It's it's like they can't put everything in you know into one bucket and say this is the name of that problem. And we had to develop some tools and some methods that layer on top of story brand to even help people walk through that. Mm-hmm. That's what we found is that, that we needed kind of a new layer of tooling to, to help people walk through that. Got it. So if, so if someone's listening to this podcast, it might be someone who read the story brand book, thought this is a great idea. And when they tried to do it, it just seemed like it almost, it, it simplified things too, too much to the point that they weren't sure that it still really fit who they were as a business. Am I kind of getting that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They feel like it almost boils too, too far. And then you're like, what I'm left with doesn't feel like it does justice to the rest of all, all of the things that we can do. Got it. Well, okay. So you and I were, we're both certified guides and I think we both use the story brand framework with those clients. So what's, what is your approach then? I'm assuming you don't just throw the book out and do something different. Use you use the framework you mentioned. Maybe layering some things on top. What does that look like, or what have you found that works? So the first thing that we found is we have to do some activities before we jump into the brand script process. We hmm. specifically have to be able to get some of the the ideas out onto the table and get them organized. So I'll give you a visual of kind of how how it works. If you imagine that you were this recruitment agency. And you've got three main service offerings that you bring to the table. What we do is we, we help them organize what audience is buying the service, what service do they think they're buying, and then what's the outcome of that service. So what that does is it gives you a little bit of a grid that would say, well, I've got service A to audience one, I've got service B to audience two, I've got service you know, C. And as they do that, we can start to align almost the success areas mm. of the brand script to say there's success one, there's success two, there's success three. What we found the secret to our kind of methodology is we have to be able to clarify the outcome across the entire organization. And if we can get the outcome nailed down, it's a lot easier for them to have one single outcome than it is to have one single problem for okay. their company. 
Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Do you do you often when you grid it out like that? Do you find that there that some of these things are maybe more similar than they realized? More similar than they think, and that's mm-hmm. the magic of doing it. But if we what I what I learned the hard way because we kept trying to brute force it and go. Yeah. Well, if we go after service one, then we'll get to the other areas. <laughs> then we we thought that we would then you know be able to sort everything out at the end. But we have to get alignment on it first, and then we organize it from the top priority service down the line. And once <laughs> we get those aligned, we can then we can then start to work through the brand script process, both for the high level for the company and at the bottom level for <laughs> for that. Yeah. All right. So you you know you work really well, or you have this kind of ideal client for for you and for your your firm to work with and you've adapted not so much the story brand framework, but the, the pre-work to get them to the point that they can actually use the framework. Because if you start just diving right in to say, Hey, let's create a brand script. It kind of gets off the rails because you get stuck at like, you know, number two, you might figure out what they want. And then once you get to that problem section, it just keeps going in so many different ways that you can't, you can't really narrow it in. But you had mentioned that a lot of these clients, they actually, in going through a process like this, they realize there's more in alignment than than they realized. And I think it, when you think of outcomes, story brand, I think Donald Miller will often say, or, or JJ or whoever, you know, you got to create your overall brand script and then your sub brand scripts. And I think that makes a lot of sense, but people can't always do it in that order because they can't always identify what is the primary brand script and what are the sub services brand scripts if they just try to start with this, you know, this, I don't know, meta, meta brand script without kind of getting their thoughts out into the world in the first place. There's a visual that we like to use of a, a canyon and the way that we teach it to our clients so that we can all align on how we're going to approach this is when you're a service provider, your service is the bridge and people don't actually care as much about the bridge as they care about getting to the other side of the canyon. And the other side of the canyon is the Mm. outcome that they want, the business outcome that they want. They're buying a B2B service from you. The challenge then becomes as the business as the expert, you are literally going out into the world and saying, which canyon is big enough that we can claim that we, we can get you across this huge problem, this huge canyon. And you have to link multiple services together because otherwise your marketing gets really, really complicated. If you're like, hey, we've got a bridge over here and a bridge over there and a bridge really far down 10 miles down the road. And mm-hmm. instead we try to link them together and say, where's the customer starting? Where are they mm-hmm. trying to get to? And then it might be bridge one, bridge two, bridge three. That's the, the alignment work that we're doing because then the messaging and the marketing becomes easier because it's in the same geography. It's in the same mm-hmm. you know, set of problems that you're solving versus it being really, really disconnected. And I think that the approach where you, you start with one service and then you do another one, it can work. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's an easy way to dive in. But it may eventually, I've always had a client, if we start with one service and then start to go through others, they want to revisit and re- redefine because they'll, they'll realize that things are too far apart just from mm. a cognitive level once they start to message you know, service A, B, C, D, E, F, G. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I'm kind of a, a little bit of, I don't know if nerdy is the right word, but I get, I get really into ideas and concepts. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for people like that, maybe you and I are similar. Sometimes we can fall so in love with the way that we do things or the thing that we do. We just want to really tell our clients about like all the details of what we're going to do for them. That's going to be so great. And, and I'm really interested in that. Um, if I'm honest, I'm not actually that interested in it when I'm purchasing that service or <laughs> something from someone else. So I think what you're saying is really true. You know, as as the leaders of that service, it's easy to to think that what they really want to know is the how. Like they want to right. they want we we have this desire to like map out all the all the ways that we're going to provide the solution to our clients. But really, what they want is like starting point, ending point, and can we get there? Can is it is it a compelling message that's going to convince me that you know I can trust you to bring me from point A to point B? I don't need right. to know every every step along along the way. Yeah, we we use that analogy of the bridge and described that some people are so in love with their bridge and their solution they're mm-hmm. they're trying to walk the client and say look at the type of paint and how how far the stripes are from each other and look at the <laughs> rivets that we use to hold up the bridge and the engineering that went into this and the customer is really just saying i just want to get across can you get yeah. me across they would take a rope bridge to get across they don't need it to be you know <laughs> double enforced you know concrete and we just really, really get geeky about that, especially my very engineering minded clients love mm. to get really, you know, really specific. I once had an IT client and they brought to me a nine step plan because they were being very, you know, rigorous about how mm-hmm. deeply they solved what what they solved in a business. I was like, guys, I understand that you can have nine steps behind the scenes, but you can't communicate them before mm-hmm. somebody buys from you. It's just too much. Yeah. Well, let's maybe let's dig into plans a little bit here. Engineers, they're great with plans. I'm just going to throw out, you know, sometimes I like to try to, you know, you know, poke the bear a little bit or figure there there's some things where, you know, I've been doing story brand work for a while and and there's some areas that I think when I see a brand script or or a story branded website sometimes get a little weak. I'm just going to throw this out there, see if you if you have thoughts or if you agree. But sometimes we have overly simplistic plans that are like, you know, step one, schedule a call. Step two, we'll give you a customized plan. And then step three, your business will, you know, explode by leaps and bounds. If we're talking to a a more, say, technical audience, like our customer is more sophisticated, do you find... I guess what I'm wondering is sometimes I feel like those plans need to to hold a little bit more detail to be credible. That I think that's sort of the issue that I, that I'm wondering about. When you have a, a sophisticated customer, just saying we're gonna step three is gonna be your business will grow might seem a little bit glib for what their expectations are, especially if they recognize that this is a really a really complicated problem. I don't know if I have uh, this is this is me making commentary. As you've worked with sort of folks in that space, what are what are your thoughts on that? I, nine point plan is too much. I guess I'm right. saying maybe maybe some of these you know, overly simplistic plans are are too simple. But I don't know. Do you agree? Disagree? Have thoughts? So my thought is the general approach that I take to a three step plan is I call it the baby step, the the big step, 
and then the outcome. That's mm. the, the default kind of process that I walk through because what I find is sometimes people are overly generic in what success mm. looks like. Like sure. grow your business. I don't know, I can't visualize what grow your business is. <laughs> From a web design perspective, sometimes I'm like, if there's not a good icon or a actual picture mm. that you could put in there, or you could go mock up that, that photo, then it's not very clear. And so mm -hmm. we always try to reverse engineer and say, what does the actual success look like? For instance, mm. if I would say, grow your leads and have more of your dream clients, you mm -hmm. can visualize both of those things, right? Yeah. So it becomes a lot more specific. And what I have found is the, the power of the storyline for us comes from the more specific about the context mm -hmm. of what success looks like. For instance, are you an IT firm that really helps people? Like I know an, a local IT firm that just specializes in Mac products. So if you could say, have your Mac products up to date and secure at all times, like mm -hmm. that success is so much better than have technology or, you know, like trust that everything's not going to catch on fire or whatever the vague promise mm -hmm. would be. So we, we start with the end in mind and then we work backwards. The other thing that I see, and this is one of my own pet peeves, this is sometimes in the, the three-step plan and sometimes it's actually a call to action issue. Mm. How many times have you signed up for a free consult at, as a service provider with another service provider? And sometimes you look and you go, I don't have enough time to have a free consult. I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm going to get. And yeah. so what we find is we have to back up to that, that first step, the baby step, and try to envision, tell me what baby step is valuable enough to spend 45 minutes on the phone with somebody. Yeah. Wrap that up with a bow and name that instead of it call, calling it a free consult. Because if yeah. I do that, if I go, hey, Matt, you're going to you're gonna stop your calendar, spend 45 minutes talking to me, there should be an outcome that you are willing to trade time and money for. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be your call to action. And then the, the final step, step three, is then painting a picture of what the final, final destination is. And I think yeah. if you get those two things aligned, your three-step plan is still simple, but it's so much more dripping mm. with context, dripping with success. People can then visualize themselves in the story in a, in a, just a much deeper way. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's incredibly helpful. I love that idea with that, that first step, you know, how are we, it, it's easy to make a call to action, honestly, to just serve us as the company or, right. you know, like despite story brand. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, everything in story brand is about like, you know, put yourself, put the, put the customer as the hero. And then we get through this and then we get to the call to action. And then, and then we just think like, what do we want from this engagement as the, as the company, as, as the marketer, we want to book a call when, if you can reframe your thinking around that call to action of why would they want to book a call? What's in it for them? What are they going to get out of it? I mean, maybe the rest of your copy is very compelling. And so a, a let's chat button does really serve that because they, they really want to talk to you about hiring you. But in a lot of cases, and this, this goes back to, you know, engineer types tend to be a little more introverted. We see a change also in just the way people buy. They want to do, 
80% of their buying before they get on the phone with someone. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone I don't have to talk to on the phone. And so schedule a consultation button is not a very compelling CTA unless I'm really sure that this is like a rubber stamp. I'm almost ready to buy and I just need to fulfill this last thing to make sure it's the right the right choice. So I like that idea of, you know, what is the what are they going to get out of the CTA with that step one and then that step three being the like a more specific payoff on on all that so that's that's really yeah. great i don't well, have an answer yeah go ahead <laughs> but here is a question that i've been wondering mm-hmm. i've heard statistics that would say during covid the b2b threshold for expenses went up to ten thousand dollars that somebody's willing to spend for a business without talking to a human hmm and in the past, it was much lower. So I'm looking at how free consults and sales calls and things like that, I think people have replaced it a lot more with mm-hmm. um, on-demand content, on-demand webinars, You know, going mm-hmm. and watching 12 YouTube videos instead of scheduling a sales call. And so one of the things that I would challenge anybody listening to to this is what are you doing to get seven different styles of interaction that somebody could have with you on their time? Mm -hmm. How could they get that type of interaction? Because sometimes people struggle with the content or with the lead gen Mm -hmm. side of things. Like, what do I even offer? I'm like, what if you offered four different versions of your sales call and you just Mm -hmm. recorded it? You go, hey, these are the four questions that somebody has about this, or here's the five ways that you know, this service could really help you if you're in this specific you know, situation. That's really, really valuable. And a lot of times I think the value we provide is is almost hidden behind a, a sales call and mm-hmm. people aren't knocking on the door anymore. They, they want to be able to do that, you know, on their couch while they're watching Netflix instead mm-hmm. of, you know, scheduling a call, you know, during during a weekday to chat with you. So just something I've been pondering as a marketer and as a a consultant myself. Yeah. I, we've been really using a lot of the ideas from Marcus Sheridan's They Ask You Answer. I don't know if you've read that book. It's, Mm -hmm. it really talks a lot about what kind of content you put on your website. How do you answer your customers' questions before they get on the phone with you? And I think there's a lot of those ideas where, you know, take that, take that knowledge and give them every, they, they talk about like an 80% video, answer the 80% of the questions that every person you talk to, it's the same question. You know, 80% right. of your customers or, or prospects get on the phone and then you go through the same things. You know, do it once, right? You know, record the video and then you can just provide that on your website. They would even say, you can you can automate that so when someone has the like schedule a call button you can send them that video and say hey before i get on the call with you watch this video it's going to answer the vast majority of your questions they might really appreciate that because again if yeah. they find out the answer to that 80% and it turns out some of those questions mean they're not going to be a good fit for you and they know that then they can you know self or disqualify themselves and and just not have to get on that call. You're saving them time. You're saving you time. It seems like a win-win to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Josh, you're a you're a process guy. Like you like to kind of develop processes. Is there anything 
maybe just walk me through what what does your you, you mentioned this kind of grid framework for a brand script. Is there anything else when you're working with your clients when it comes to story brand? Is there anything else in that process that you find as as really helpful that maybe isn't obvious or isn't sort of explicitly like part of the story brand teaching that they that they talk about in terms of developing that brand script? Yeah, so two things that we have found as as we work through our process. The first process that, that I was talking about with the grid idea, we call that the marketing roadmap. The first thing we, we have somebody do when they're, they're onboarding with our team and we're working with them is we ask them multiple different ways. What are the top three things you sell? Why do people buy those things? And what are the, the highest volume of what you sell? Because sometimes mm -hmm. what people buy from you and the volume of what you sell are different. And it's, it's helpful for us to understand that. So we're, as marketers, trying to think through the pie chart of if somebody comes into your business and you're trying to sell them the entire slice, you know, the entire pizza, and each slice is a different flavor, it's really mm -hmm. challenging to market that pizza, right? Be mm -hmm. like, well, what do you want? Like a little bit of, a little bit of everything? It's a buffet. We as service providers don't realize that we're trying to sell the buffet. And for most of our clients, they've never taken th people through an automatic educational process to warm them up. They just get referrals that people know, like, mm -hmm. and trust them. And so they're actually starting like 10 miles back in the process around mm -hmm. education. So we have to get those services out of their head, understand them. And a lot of times people have never written them down. It's all just kind of, you know, back of the napkin stuff. So that's the first piece. The, the reason that that shows up from a story brand perspective is imagine I was sitting down with you and I said, okay, we're getting ready to build your, your lead gen. We're going to build your sales funnel. We're going to lead you into that. The question that I'm asking is which service are you trying to pitch them into first? Because if, for instance, if you've got a baby step, that's like a, a $5,000, you know, engagement, and you've got a huge, you know, like year or two year contract that what we noticed is people would come to us as a story brand agency and start to ask for things like we need to do our lead gen. And I'm like service. And they are thinking about it in this like very tactical, like just check the yeah. legion off the, off the, you know, the list. And we're trying to say, no, we're aligning like door number one that gets them into the house. And then there's a door mm -hmm. behind that hallway and you're continuing down the same hallway. And so as part of that marketing roadmap, we're actually taking them through a second grid that basically has the entire sales funnel for story brand per service, mm -hmm. because you may not need a lead gen for every service, but it sure is helpful to see that your lead gen is for service one, two, three, four, instead of it being like this generic, like it's my one lead gen or lead magnet for the entire company. Like it's, it's never for the entire company. It's always for a specific customer at a specific point in time trying to solve a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. If you get really specific about it, it, it releases so much stress <laughs> mm -hmm. about trying to like nail it, it right? It's like, yeah. we're just saying, hey, we're putting a poster on door number one and we're trying to get people to open that door. Then they're gonna come farther into your, your sales and your marketing. They might learn more about you. They might schedule phone calls. So did that process make sense as I explained yeah. it? Yeah, well, and I, I especially like, well, I, 
I have a little bit of my own soapbox about lead gens. I, I tend to be kind of skeptical towards them. And, and I think one of the reasons that I really tend to not recommend them is that most people try to do a super broad company-wide lead gen PDF, something that, that is going to be sort of broadly applicable to anyone who might be their customer, whatever their, whatever their problem or whatever service they might be a fit for. And I think those those, that sort of approach is it just falls flat. It's not compelling enough for anyone. It's, if you right. aim, if you aim at everybody, you miss everybody. But if you aim right. at sort of one one target customer, you can you can get something. You can create something. I think that is more useful, helpful, compelling that they that they might take advantage of. I'll, I'll give you two examples that medtech recruitment agency that I spoke of. We ended up. I, I could go back through the roadmap process, you know, five years later mentally based on knowing two of the services that, that we wrote for them. One was I'm a med tech CEO who's starting to think about moving to a new company. I'm going yeah. to go get a new CEO job, but I, I can't tell anybody. Right. So there could be a lead gen on their site. That's the, are you considering your next career move in mm -hmm. med tech? Very specific on the flip side one of their types of buyers is literally the board of directors who's going to go source the next CEO because mm. the company's leveling up from you know this stage to that stage and they need to go find a different CEO and they can't tell the current CEO yet. Right. So they had two different audiences for the same service of going and finding a CEO. One was just the CEO trying to find their next job. Mm. One is the board trying to go source from all the other, you know, you know, dozens of med tech companies. And mm -hmm. so we found that by getting really specific, the lead gens became so much more compelling. I use this analogy. If you're looking at like a book series, like the Harry Potter mm -hmm. series, every single book in Harry Potter has a big plot and has a, it has a main, you know, through line that it's trying mm -hmm. to take them to. Harry doesn't know that the wizarding world exists. He learns that it exists. In book number two, he's not sure, you know, what the Chamber of Secrets is. And there's some, you know, problem in the bathroom at, you know, Hogwarts. <laughs> there's some minor problem that the story unfolds in. And we found that by, by using that chapter and book analogy, lead gens are done at the chapter level in a specific book for a specific audience. Mm -hmm. People generally try to write them about the Harry Potter series globally. Yeah. And that's when they just fall flat. They just have no wind in their sails because they yeah. don't appeal to anybody about any specific context or problem. We, we've talked about so someone who has a specific audience and, they, and, and a lot of services or problems that they solve. Do you often run into situations where your clients have both a general audience and a lot of so they, they've got lots of things that they can do and they have lots of people that they can serve. Is that, I almost wonder, is that, is that worth doing or do you need to tell them, Hey, you gotta, you gotta figure out who your, your audience is, but what's, wh what's been your experience? Do they generally know exactly who they're talking to or is there, is there a lot of customers for some of these services? So what we've seen is that it's important for a company to really think about what we call the minivan situation. Imagine you're getting your whole family in a minivan, you've got one tank of gas, and you wanna go as far as you can. You need to be strategic about what road and what, what path you wanna take, 
And <laughs> if you're trying to talk to everybody, most companies, especially small and medium companies, they just don't have enough gas in, in the marketing tank to talk <laughs> to everybody all at once. And so it's often more profitable and a better return on investment if you narrow the audience. But what we've noticed is the bigger the company is, the more they have that tendency to say, we need to talk at this high level to everybody. Like Domino's Pizza. Domino's is probably you know, mentally trying to talk to a lot more types of people that, than we are. But mm -hmm. what, what I would see is that when you look at successful companies like Panera Bread, Panera is you know, a, a local company, you know, cafe here in the Midwest but they specifically have continued to narrow in their audience and say it's kind of this affluent audience that cares about clean food that wants convenience but really you go to panera because you want to feel a little fancy while you eat your soup you know like it's, it's, it's like fancy cafeteria food right <laughs> fancy cafe but knowing that audience makes it so much easier for them to appeal to that that you know that target and so <laughs> we always encourage people to go down the path what we've found is if you walk them through this type of activity, people will actually not fight too hard uh, against mm -hmm. picking a primary audience. But the default stance of marketing is, and especially it can be, a, I think, a trap in the story brand framework. If you say, what's your audience and it's global like all moms, and then you look at their, you know, their, their want or their problem and say, it's this general, general big, big problem you're not really being specific at all. You're not yeah. really getting getting into what the character wants. And that context is really the key mm -hmm. for, for me. If you can get it in the context of, you know, a mom is busy and they want to feed their kids something healthy, that's a way different context than it is, you know, if, if you're just t trying to talk to everybody like that Domino's pizza analogy. Yeah. There's, there's kind of an inverse relationship too, I think, between what you can what you can charge and how big your audience is. If your audience is really big, there's probably a lot of people playing in that space. And so it has a tendency to push prices down and kind of commoditize those services. And if you can find a specific problem where there's not as many options for people to choose from, you can, you can leverage that into a higher price. I think in the marketing world, David C. Baker, I think he talks about how do you, how do you know if you have a good market? And he uses some external factors where you say if there's there has to be some people in the space competing there is like if you have like 20 competitors, that's pretty good because it means it's a valid market. There's enough people that that have found that they can make a living, you know, within that market. If you have like 2000 competitors, that's too much. It's going to be hard to break through that noise. And then the same thing in terms of the audience size, if there's at least 2000 people that you could sell to, you know, it could be a pretty niche service. 2000 might be pretty low. That's pretty good. But if it's like 2 million people, you haven't narrowed it enough. You're going to end up, you know, being lost in the, in that space. And I think that applies. I know it's been really helpful for me as I think about what, what my audience is, you know, I really focus on accounting firms and also in the B2B space, mostly firms that are working as small business accountants to narrow that in and, and make sure that I chose a niche. But I think that could be really applicable in so many areas of expertise, you know, in the, the types of folks that you're talking about where they're selling their knowledge 
their kind of advisory role, making sure that you have a narrow enough audience so that you're solving a specific enough problem that it actually is going to connect and be valuable to to that audience. Absolutely. So. Josh, I think we'll probably wrap it up here in a second. Is there is there anything else that's just been this is this is kind of your opportunity to say, hey, this is the thing that I wish people would really understand or know about how to implement StoryBrand better in in their company. Maybe it could be as broad or narrow as you want, or you know, just what what do you want to leave us with? What's your what's what's your best piece of advice that you've been holding out on us up until this point? So if I go back to that canyon analogy, the the way that we look at it is you need to be able to walk right up to the edge of this cliff and put your arm around your best customer and look down in the bottom of the canyon. And you need to, you need to take time to see what they see. Because mm -hmm. as they look over the edge, they may see a crocodile and a big pokey log and some, some, some rocks and raging water. And all of those things may be scary at different points. But what we find is that when you're dealing with the StoryBrand framework, don't jump to the easiest, fastest problem that you can throw into the story. You really need to take time to decide how you're going to talk about a huge canyon size problem because the canyon size problem will take you farther and people will be able to visualize it so much more and holistically. I think that sometimes people are overly specific about little, little problems that just are more irritants than they are huge like burning problems. I know you and I are both fans of the book by Alex Hermosi, $100 million offers. And in that, in that book, he's talking about finding a hungry market and you've mm -hmm. got to find that Canyon size problem because a hungry market is hungry to get to the other side, mm -hmm. willing to invest time and money into that. And if you're just talking about little baby crocodiles and rocks that they don't care about, they're just going to ignore you and keep walking down you know, the road until they find a solution that really, really, you know, solves a deep problem for them. So that's my best advice when it comes to story brand. Don't mm -hmm. go hunting for problems first, find the outcome and then reverse engineer how you're going to talk about the Canyon size problem that y your customer is really burning, burning, you know, to, to fix for themselves. That's so great. I, I love all of the, all the word pictures that you have to help people understand what they're they're looking at the bridge the minivan the canyon you know all of these things it's that's a really helpful way to think about it Josh where can where can people find you or what's the what's the be best way to get in touch with you you can find us online hellolantern.com and Lantern is our company. We do coaching and consulting for B2B service providers, specifically helping them communicate clearly, build better marketing, and build a better business for all of their consulting. Well, this has been the Words First podcast, and Josh Brammer has been kind enough to be here today. I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you have questions about how you can better implement StoryBrand, you should keep listening to this podcast, share it with your friends, rate and review it. That would be great for us. And until next time, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Matt. Thanks much.